0: Well, good morning, Red Innovation Church. My name is Pastor Justin Domino. Like, uh, like he said, I'm the pastor of leadership development at New Hope Community Church up in Cambridge. So a little small town, just 30 minutes north of here. Um, it's actually not small anymore, though. We got a quick trip, which is fantastic. Actually, two, which is amazing. So come visit. It's a hustle and bustle in the city now. Not much to do still other than go to quick trip. Um, but a little about me, I am 28 years old. I've been married for it'll be seven years this August to my beautiful wife, Maddie. I have two baby girls. One of them is four years old. Her name is Israel. We got a picture up here on the screen as well that will be coming. The other one is India. She's three months old. So they're amazing. Fun fact, Izzy, the the older one, she's a Target model, which has been super fun. And I kind of broke that streak, though. Um, So my daughter had been modeling for a few weeks with Target, and she had gone through some photo shoots, and it was amazing, super fun. And they're like, hey, why don't you bring in your wife, and let's do like a a mother-daughter photo shoot. And so my wife went in there. They got a whole casting call and everything. And they're like, hey, let's do a family photo shoot. And then I got in there, and we never got a call back. So so a little defeating, a little defeating, a little frustrating. But this is my beautiful, beautiful family. As you can see, my daughter Izzy is a super proud big sister. She loves our little girl. It's been a lot of fun. But today, I have a message for you. As we're in the book of Joshua, going through the Old Testament, I have a message for you called getting over the wall. And I'll share with you in a moment what I mean by that. But a little fun fact about me is I hate New Year's resolutions. Anybody like me? I hate. I just. I've never been good at them, which is probably why I hate them. Uh, but they feel so cheesy to me, and I share that with you because on January first, sort of unconsciously this year, because I hate New Year's resolutions, I started taking cold showers every day. Now. It sounds terrible and weird and dramatic, and I know you don't really care about the guest preacher's uh, showering routine. I know that's a little bit weird, but let me, let me share with you part of my experience. What I learned in this was, was day one on January 1st, I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> Why would anybody do this to themselves? But the reason I started doing it is because I, I had found out um, through watching YouTube videos, which is, I don't know, sounds very stupid. Uh, but it's, it's really good for your health really good for your health. It gets rid of inflammation in your body. It kickstarts your immune system. And one of the biggest benefits is I don't need coffee anymore. When I get the cold water on my forehead every morning, it's like it, bam, it shocks you. It wakes you up. Now I still drink it because I love it, but it's like changed my whole like start to the day every single day. Now it's incredibly difficult. The first day I thought was going to be hardest, but what was actually the hardest day was day two. And the reason behind that is because I knew how it felt now. (laughs) I know what it was like to actually step into the cold water. And I remember standing in my tub shower, day two, January 2nd, and I let the water run for like five minutes. And I'm standing at the edge of it, just getting my little toes wet. I'm like, I don't want to step into there. It's freezing. I know how uncomfortable this is. And in your head... That's kind of the, what's going on. When, you're, when you try something new, when you try something difficult, maybe you're starting a workout routine and you're like day three and your alarm goes off at six in the morning. How hard is it to get over that mental block in your head? It's like, I know, it's gonna, I know what's going to hurt. I know I'm going to get sore. I don't want that. After the workout, it's great. But there's sort of that wall in your mind that you have to get over. And that's what I was experiencing day two as I started my cold shower routine. I'm standing in my tub like, I don't want to take another step forward. I know how uncomfortable this is going to be. Now, this is what psychologists and philosophers often call the wall. It's this mental block in our head where we know we're supposed to do something. We know even what's good for us. And yet we're kind of afraid to take that step of faith. And so today I have a message for you titled, Getting Over Your Wall, because I believe that some of us in the room, we might be at a point in our faith where we have hit a crossroads. Maybe you're going through something incredibly difficult in your life right now. Maybe you're not even a believer. You stepped into church for the first time. On Fourth of July weekend, God must be speaking to you if that's you. But all of us are called to a level of dependence in God in our lives, And I think for some of us, getting over our wall means letting go of control. And if we want to grow in our relationship with God, if we want to strengthen our faith and see what God can do in our lives, the next step is breaking down the wall, breaking down the barrier. And what keeps us from getting to God? It's sin. It's control. It's wanting to keep everything within our grasp. And so today we're going to read uh, Joshua chapter 5. It's on page 148 in the Bible underneath your chair, so go ahead and pull it out right now. And I'm going to warn you guys ahead of time, this is an incredibly long story. (laughs) We're going to read the whole battle of Jericho. It's like 40, 45 verses long, so bear with me. But I'm reading it because I think it's crucially important that you get the whole picture of what's happening. So here's my warning. Don't fall asleep because God is watching, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. God is a God of grace. Uh, But here we go, Joshua chapter five, verse 13, and then we're gonna go into Joshua chapter six and end in verse 25. So here's what it says. It says, now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up and asked him, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down, to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and nobody came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse. The army will go up. Everybody straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance. March around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day that I tell you to shout, and then shout. Shout. And so he had the Ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. You still with me? Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. There's the scarlet thread that Pastor David talked about a few weeks ago. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring out your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver, all the gold, all the article of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house, bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside The camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men that Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. I'm 100% positive that that was the longest scripture passage I've ever read in a sermon. It was long, but there's so, so much goodness in here. So what happens in the story? So the Israelites are wandering in the desert for 40 years. And they're finally coming to this moment where they're entering into the promised land that God had given them. So they cross the Jericho River, or the, the Jordan River. They cross the Jordan River. They have their walk to remember. And then they get to this moment where they're in their land, but there's a city called Jericho. That It's not very big, but it has a reputation for being very safe because it's got these very tall, very thick, fortified walls. Not only that, but there's guards all around the walls. And so there's really no way in. In fact, historians have have looked at this city, the archaeology behind it, and said if Israel had just used their traditional war tactics and just charged straight in and tried to overtake the city by their own strategy, their own power, their own military finesse, if they had done that, they would have probably lost tens of thousands of men. And so they come to the city, and essentially they have an army with them. They're the, the people of Israel. Now, if it was you, if you were Joshua, if you're the leader of the Israelites, what would you do? If you come to the city, what would you do? My first thought is I'm going to gather all my generals. I'm going to get them all together, and I'm going to come up with a strategy, come up with a plan. That's what good leaders do. But they come to this, to this city, and this, the commander of the Lord's army essentially says to them, stop. Stop right there. Any plans that you have, any strategies that you might want to even think about having, stop. And and here's the directions that he gives them. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them, sound a long blast. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the 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 wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everybody, straight in. Now, if that's me, I'm doing a double take. Like, your strategy is what? (laughs) You're telling me to do what? Walk around the city? How is this wall going to fall down if we walk around it and shout? But once we learn about what Jericho actually is, God's plan actually starts to make a little bit more sense. Because if we know how strong Jericho is, we know that Israel is never getting these walls down. They're never getting over the walls on their own strength. What they need is a supernatural plan. And so God gives them one. He says, I want you to do this seven times. Every single day, go around the city for six days and then do it seven times on the seventh day. And really that sounds crazy and ridiculous in our minds. We're wondering what is God's plan here? What, what's actually going to happen? Is this actually going to work? But what we need to realize is that this is the only option because of how strong Jericho is, I think that this is a perfect metaphor for many of us in our own lives. Let's let's be honest. In modern day 2022 America, following Jesus is so countercultural. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you just had a guy up here telling you to give 10% of your money to a church. What does our culture tell us? Go make as much money as possible. Keep it. Pack up your 401k, do everything that you can, keep everything for yourself, protect yourself, and we're up here saying, hey, as a church, we want you to to be generous. Everything about following Jesus is countercultural until you realize that the way of the world doesn't work. Without God in your life, following Jesus might seem ridiculous, but without God in your life, life falls apart pretty quickly. When you have no God to talk to, no God whose plan you're trusting in, life falls apart very quickly. And that's what I love about this Jericho story. This plan seems ridiculous until you realize, no, if this is God's plan and God does things his way. We might have a better way, right? But we don't have a universe. We don't have a world. God knows what he's doing. And so I want to challenge us today, Renovation Church. Trust in God's plan, even if it seems different, even if it seems weird or difficult, because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And following him might seem countercultural, might seem really weird. But following him is honestly our only option when we look at the pain of the world. And so I know it's easy to look at this story and, and 3,000 years later, it's easy because we know the end of the story. We know that the walls fell down. We know that it all collapsed. Everybody went in. They took Jericho. But imagine being Joshua in this moment, getting this plan and realizing Okay, this is our only option, but this sounds crazy. What Joshua did here is he actually took the first step to breaking down the walls in our own lives, and what he did is he let go of fear and control. Now, if I were to ask you today how many of you struggle with fear and control, I'm not going to because it's all of us. It's pretty obvious. Most of us do. If you're a type A or maybe you're an Enneagram 6 or Enneagram 8, you're like, hey, yeah, that's me. Control. I need to control everything right now, and if anything is out of my control, I feel out of control. But this is the first step to putting our full trust and our full dependence on God. Instead of living closed-handed, we have to live open-handed before God and say, "God, what do you want me to do with my money, my family, my job, even my neighborhood?" You know, a good way to to ask ourselves, "How do we depend on God?" Is you know, I'm a 28-year-old man with with two kids and a wife. Now, if Jesus was a 28-year-old man with, with two kids and a wife, how would Jesus live? And for you, how would he live? If he were you, how do you believe that Jesus would live? And I think that this is a great way to, to the, a great first step to losing control in our lives is that we need to say, how would Jesus live if he were me? Because that's what God is calling us to, And so, I want to challenge us today, church, that we need to look at our lives, take inventory of our own lives, and say, God, what are the areas of my life where I'm not depending on you? What are the areas of my life where I am trying to control every situation? Is it in your money? Is it in your family? Is it in your job? But where do you need to let go? And what this Jericho story is telling us is that only God can break down the wall. It is not by your power, it's not by your control. But if you're standing before God and saying, God, I'm just not growing in my faith, or there seems to be some sort of, of roadblock in your life that is keeping you from taking that next step in your faith or getting closer to God and strengthening your faith, today you need to let go of control and you need, you need to put your full dependence on God because he is the only one who can break down our walls. And so I think it's wise for us that we take, that we take inventory of our lives. And see where we are not trusting God. Where we are not being dependent upon God. And, and earlier I made a joke about how this is you know, the longest scripture passage that I've ever read in, in a sermon. And it definitely is. And probably it will be for a long time. <laughs> but in that, there's something really significant. It's why I actually chose to read the entire thing when Pastor David said, hey, feel free to break it up. So I was listening to a couple rabbis talk about the battle of Jericho a few weeks ago listening to some Jewish rabbis talk about it, and they talked about there's a reason why this story is so long and so detailed. See, most of the stories in the Bible, they're actually very quick. The Bible's made up of thousands and thousands of stories over the 66 books. And usually it's, here's what God says, and here's how the people were either obedient or disobedient. And then the story kind of ends. It shows what happens. But in this story, we have all of the fluff and all of the details. It actually shows the chain of command and the rank that was happening that the commander of the the army of the Lord actually spoke to Joshua and then Joshua to the priests and then Joshua to the people. And then it shows each day and how the ark went on this time, then the ark went here, then the priests went here, then they blew the trumpets here. And I'm asking myself, why is there so much fluff? And as I'm listening to these guys talk about it, there's a reason here. There's a reason that the process of faith The process of dependence on God is actually just as important as the result. See, when we read this story, we get so enamored by the fact that the walls actually fell down. That's crazy. And we see that as sort of the climax of the story. But if we only see the fact that the walls fell down, we see the miracle. We miss the fact that this is actually a story about faith and dependence. That the process of getting to the result is just as important, if not more important, than getting to the result of the story. About six years ago, my wife and I were really struggling with with infertility. And it was something that, it was our dream to have babies. It was our dream to have, my dream was always, I wanted these cute little girls who loved princesses, who wore dresses every day, and that's exactly what I got, which is beautiful. But we were struggling. Could not get pregnant, could not get pregnant, could not get pregnant. And we found this um, infertility specialist down in White Bear Lake um, who, who recommended some surgeries and who recommended some medication and who did amazing work. And in fact, he's a, he's a Christian man. He prayed with us at every appointment. It was a beautiful thing. But it was one of our last appointments that we went to where our, our OB said, you know, it's just not really in the cards for you guys. He said, as a Christian man, I I pray for miracles, but I'm just telling you guys, don't get your hopes up. But here's a surgery that you can have. Your wife can have this surgery. And and he looked at my wife and said, it's going to be really, really good for your health overall, but I cannot promise that it'll work. And so she went through with the surgery, and she got healthier, which was amazing. And then about four months later, actually, this is the fifth year anniversary. It was on July 3rd that we found out that we were pregnant with our daughter Izzy. And I share that with you because I know many, many couples have the same story. Infertility is a real struggle, and it's so hard. But I remember getting into the car after we left that appointment when we decided that we we're going to go through with the surgery. And my wife and I were were, were crying in the car and we we're talking through it a little bit and we we're talking through the tears. And we had both come to to the point as we're talking that we were going to trust God and His plan was going to be good no matter what. And what I mean by that is even if we don't get pregnant, God is still good. And I believe that he used this moment in our lives, this huge struggle, this pain and this sadness in our lives. I believe that he used it to get us to that point in our faith. Because before, we might have been just like, hey, if God gets us pregnant, then he's good. But if not, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to turn from him. I'm not going to trust him anymore because he didn't give me what I wanted when I prayed for but what God taught us through this moment was no I am still good whether you have the result or not. And I think that this is what God is speaking to us through this story of the battle of Jericho that, that so many of us were so focused on the results and we're so focused on what is God going to give us but really the process of getting there is so crucially important. God is testing us every single day. Is our faith and our dependence is it in him or is it in something else? Is it in ourselves? And what I want you to hear today is that even if the walls didn't fall down, even if we didn't get pregnant, even if God doesn't answer your prayer in the way that you want Him to, He is still good. He loves you and He's for you. And this is where I believe prayer comes in crucially. I think so many times we get confused on what prayer actually means. And we come to God with all of our requests and God, here's what I want and here's what I need. And that's good. Jesus calls us to, to pray and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's good. But I believe prayer is more of a conversation with God where he is trying to get us on the same page as he is not we're, instead of us trying to get God on the same page as we are. And so I want to challenge you today, church, if you're going through something difficult right now, God is still good regardless of the outcome. But what is he teaching you in the process? I believe that he's teaching us today that we need to put our full trust and our full dependence onto him. You know, it's 4th it's of July weekend, which is, which is great. I, I love America, and so don't take what I'm about to say as, don't be too shocked, okay? Uh, don't take it as anti-American. I'm not anti-American. America is a great place. We live in a place where it's, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anybody can. You can, you can start your business. You can do whatever you want. You can live the American dream here. And that's what makes America a great country is that anybody can come here and, and, and get wealthy or get successful, whatever it is, whatever your dream is, you can have it. If you want the white picket fence with a dog and a wife and two kids, you can have that. That's what makes America a great country. Now, we have plenty of faults, don't get me wrong, but we're a great country. Now, I, I say that because I think that America has formed both personally and spiritually, so many of us, and myself included. This idea that we can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that we're the ones who are in control of our own lives, our own destiny, that we can make it happen. Now, this forms us all the time, and even in our faith, we walk into our faith, our relationship with God, and we bring that same attitude. We bring that same mindset, that it's all about me, and I'm in control, and I can just pull myself up by my bootstraps, and My faith is dependent upon myself. But I want to challenge us in this. As we celebrate the goodness of our country, we can't let this seep into our faith, this way of thinking. Because if we do, it creates a beast that that isn't biblical. That's not godly. See, America says depend on on yourself. And you can do it. And that's great. But what God is teaching us through the story of of the battle of Jericho is that don't depend on yourself. Depend on God. Instead of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and being the leader of your own life and fulfilling your dreams, instead live open-handedly and say, God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? What areas of my life are you calling me to depend on you in? And so I think it's crucial that we remember how much we are formed by the world that we live in. And so I hope you don't take me as as anti-American because I'm not but it's so crucial that we look at our faith as we need Jesus to form us before America forms us. We need the ideals of spiritual freedom to form us before the ideals of, of American freedom or worldly freedom happen. And so I think that the story of the battle of Jericho, as, as we see the Israelites march into Jericho as the walls fall down, we see it as you know the walls are down, the, the Israelites take Jericho. We see this as an advancing story, as a conquering story. But I think we need to reframe our minds about what the story is actually about. Rather than being a story about Israel advancing into Jericho, I believe it's actually a story about Israel surrendering to God. And so the question I want to ask you right now is more specifically for you, is what area of your life do you need to give to God? What area of your life have you maybe been been closed handed with God and say, God, you can have every area. You can have my kids, you can have my wife, you can have, you have my job, but when it comes to my money, no way. Or God, yeah, I, I'm super generous. God, I give more than 10%, maybe even 20%, and not even just to renovation, but I give to charities and I, I make sure the pregnancy resource centers are all flush with cash. I do really well, but don't touch my babies. These are my kids. You can't have my kids. See, I think it's so easy to to pick and choose which areas of our lives where we're dependent on God, but today he's calling us to lose total control. Just like the Israelites walking up to Jericho recognizing that they are powerless on their own. We are powerless before this world. We need dependence upon God. And so I think... I think we need to ask ourselves though, because in this, it can sound very spiritual, very pious to be like, oh yeah, we, we just need to depend on God more. But honestly, how do we do that? Right? What, what makes us motivated to actually do that? I think there's an overlooked verse so much in this story and it comes in verse, verse two, chapter 16, verse two. And here's what God actually says through the commander of the Lord's army to Joshua before anything happens. He says, "See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men." Now, why is this why is this verse so important? Because we have to look at it in the context. No walk, no walking, no marching, no trumpets, no shouting, nothing has happened yet. And yet we already have the promise given. This is the catalyst that made, that made Joshua and all of Israel say, "Yup, we're following you. Because God told them the result. He said, I am going to come through for you. If you follow me, I'm going to come through for you. Here's the promise. Now I want you to be obedient. Now this is the same thing that we have in our lives Say, There's a reason why we can depend on God. There's a reason why I became a Christian when I was 17. That I left a life of smoking weed and drinking every weekend. I left that life because I realized that God had given me a promise. That there is a promise of eternal life in his presence forever. Sure, life is not going to be perfect. Things are going to go wrong every single day. God's going to give me results that I don't like. But I'm going to depend on him every single day because I know that for an eternity and right now, his presence is with me. When I go through good things and blessings, his presence is there. When I go through bad things, hardships, his presence is there. The greatest blessing in this life isn't beautiful babies and nice cars and 401ks. The greatest blessing in this life is the presence of God through your darkest moments and through your highest moments. God is so, so good. And this is the reason why we choose to depend on him. Because he has promised us an eternity with him. The problem that we have is we love control. And this even seeps into our faith. Whether you're a, an Enneagram 6 or 8 or type A or even somebody who just loves America, this seeps into our faith all the time. I think one of the greatest sins of humanity is control. Control. So we say we trust on God, but what happens when gas hits five bucks a gallon? It's going to test your faith. What happens when you grew your kids up to follow Jesus and they get to the U of M, their freshman year, and they hear all these secularist ideas, and all of a sudden, bam, they're gone from church? That'll test your faith. And so, what's your faith truly in? And this is why I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 8 and 9. He's talking about salvation. And he says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. We have to to hear that. It's not from us. Salvation is not from us. It is the gift of God. And here's the key, not by works so that nobody can boast. This is so relevant 2,000 years later. Because what do we try to do as, as Americans or type sixes or type eights we're just people who love control. I'm going to work my way to heaven. I'm going to work so hard, do so many good things. God is going to love me. I'm going to show up to church on 4th of July weekend. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. <laughs> Second opinions, one, one is that we get extra points with God. If we come to church on weekends like that, I'm kidding, but it seeps into our faith all the time that we, if we just try harder, then God will love us. I'll give, I'll give more money. i I'll help little old ladies carry their grocery bags in their car, and then God will think I'm great, then I'll get to heaven. No. The good news of Jesus is that it's not up to you. Now, now do those things because our faith should cause us to do good works, but it's not the good works that cause our faith. Our full dependence is on Jesus, the fact that he came and lived a perfect life, he died for our sins on the cross because we couldn't atone for our sins. It's not our good works. And even if, we are, even if we were the ones who were crucified, we'd have to do that every single day because we sin every day. But because Jesus was perfect and He died in our place, He is the penalty for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. And now we can enter into a relationship with Him because He resurrected, we can spiritually resurrect. We can come as, as dead sinners. And be alive in Christ. That's the good news of the the gospel. And if you've been a Christian for 20 years, guess what? You need that message today. Because our dependence doesn't come on our own works. Our dependence comes from God himself and his plan and his promise. We depend on God because of the promise of salvation. He is good regardless of what happens on this earth. Revelation 21.4 says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. Sin has passed away for eternity. That's the good news of Jesus. And so if you've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to take this message and I want you to take it and say, what are the areas of my life that maybe I'm not depending on God right now for? But maybe you did walk into church for the first time on 4th of July weekend. Maybe you haven't been to church for a long time and there's reasons why you haven't been to church in a long time. I get that. But if you're not a believer today, if you're not a Christian today, but you're ready to take that step to allow God to break down the barrier of sin, to knock down the wall of sin in your life, then I want you to take that step. What Joshua did is he helped Israel Not just be obedient, but enter into this new way of life. Following Jesus, following God, being obedient to him, it's about a way of life. It's not just about a set of doctrines or beliefs. It's a way of life that we enter into. If you want to enter into that today, I'm going to be right down here by the steps, along with our follow-up team here at Renovation. We would love to talk to you about what that means to follow Jesus, pray with you, and walk you through that. But I want to challenge you, if you're ready today, don't wait. Before you get on the boat later today. Don't wait because God is here today and he wants you to depend on him and there's a reason and that reason is salvation for eternity and God's presence today. Let me pray for you. God, we come before you and we recognize, Lord, that we are sinful. We depend on ourselves every single day. But God, we ask that you would today break down the wall of sin in our lives break down the wall of control in our lives. Lord, help us be just like the Israelites who walked up to Jericho and recognize that this is too much, it's too big, it's too strong, life is too hard. We need to depend on you, God, today. So God, if there's an area of each and every one of our lives that you are speaking to us today, that you are calling us to give up, I pray that we would live open-handedly, that we would say today is a new day. God, I'm going to depend on you. God, would you give us forgiveness of our sins? Would you, would you forgive us of our need for control? And would you help us, Lord, to totally and completely depend on you because you are the source of salvation. You are the source of the ultimate promise. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.